Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it is a balmy negative four degrees here in Whoa. southern Indiana. Feels like negative 28. And dear listeners, here's how much we care about this show. I have the heat turned off in my apartment currently because I can't have my air blowing down on my microphone. So we got to we got to make this episode a tight 60 minutes here. Tight 60. Wow, that is some dedication. I don't think you need to make that kind of uh, martyr-esque sacrifice for the oh, show. But I, I think I really do. My heat is out of control. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a, a scorching seven degrees here in Pittsburgh. Wow, and it's snowing outside. It's a winter wonderland. Um, folks are going to be listening to this episode either on Christmas Day if you're one of our early access patrons and you want to get in on the action on uh, the 25th or on the 26th. And maybe you're cozying up by the fire, got some Christmas cookies and. We're going to talk about Brothers War. I stop talking. You're going to make me vomit. It's too much oh Christmas. My gosh. Too much Christmas cheer. So grinchy. So grinchy. Ben, so, someone was asking you on a stream last night, like, what's your like favorite holiday tradition? And the way Ben chose to answer the question was, as a kid, my favorite holiday tradition was because <laughs> no. because he couldn't help himself but say bah humbug. No, that was super sweet. And I wasn't even trying to purposefully not make a Christmas one. That's just a memory that I really love from my family. We, we would do Easter bunny hunts. We would like call the Easter bunny. We would put out these little baskets outside of our house. And then we would have to go call the Easter bunny. We'd have to walk around the house calling Easter bunny. And then my parents would fill the basket with like a piece of chocolate or whatever when we got back. It was awesome. That's very cool. Like we've talked about on the show before, um, I am I'm less grinchy than Ben, but certainly grinchy. I like the holidays, but uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of the gift giving. I don't it's not it's not my love language, you know? Yep, I hear you there for sure. All right, so we're going to be dipping our toe back to Brothers War here for this episode. And I think this will probably be the last time that we touch on Bro before we get to the 50 Takes episode. You know, it's a little awkward. I do feel like this is a format that I love quite a lot. Someone's asking me, like, you know, what's my favorite set of the year? And I, it's, a, it's tough because I like Bro a lot, but I feel like I haven't played it enough for it to compete with some of the other sets that are in contention from the year. I know that's not the case for you, but it's awkward that like it's been out for, you know, a month and change. And then it's like, and here's some cube. And then here's some other like supplemental product. Then we're going to get the decathlon in January. And it's like, and then I guess we're off to Phyrexia all is one. And and Brothers War didn't perhaps get enough or, or, you know, if you ask Ben had too much time in the sun for his money. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, we're going to touch on it just one last time here and, and give our thoughts about where we're at on the format and like what our approach is, you know? Yeah, I am very excited to poison counter some people at the end of January. That is going to be <laughs> quite good. I love Scars of Mirror in block and i'm hoping this is a similar vibe to that yeah for sure for sure poison counters are very fun all right so we got a couple of housekeeping things to take care of before we dive into the episode first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose the show is always free um it is the giving season i guess actually when the episode comes out it's past the giving season i missed my opportunity for that pitch but <laughs> The Patreon page is a place to give back to the show. We have some sweet perks over there. Everybody who gives back to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, a fantastic community of limited junkies like yourself, 24-7 limited tech support on the internet, the best place to go for a limited community in my mind. Um, a lot of other sweet things as you move up the reward tiers, you can get access to the show a day in advance. You can get access to our show notes in advance of the episode. You can get access to a private section of the Discord and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, head on over to the Patreon page and we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we are welcoming David, Andrew, Zach, and Luke. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. 
Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And literally cannot say thank you enough to all of our yeah. patrons and listeners. Happy holidays to all of you. And let's ring in a good 2023. Boom. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player. Best place to go on the internet for anything magic related. TCGplayer.com. We want to shout out the TCG Player subscription that you can get for $6.99 a month. That's going to give you free shipping and tracking on all of your orders. So it's a no-brainer if you're ordering Magic cards online from TCG Player. In addition to that, you get extra bonus bucks, which is essentially store credit on purchases that you make. And most importantly, you can get CFB Pro articles. Now, if you're planning on doing that in January, Ethan and I are going to be taking January off because you're going to be on daddy duty as a result of that. I'm going to be on full-time podcast duty while I'm trying to get like hundreds of students ready to play individual solo. So January is going to be a bit full. So no articles from us, but they're going to be articles, rest assured, from Alex, I'm sure, and a bunch of other CFB Pro writers. So for anything that you need over at TCG Player, whether that's getting on CFB Pro or just getting some sealed product to draft with friends, whatever, please use our affiliate link. And there's two ways to get there. You can go to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player. That'll redirect you to their site. Or you can go to our website, lordsalimited.com, click support, and then click the TCG player link, and that will also redirect you. And then any purchases you make, we get a financial kickback to support the show, and we would appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yeah, uh, Ben and I, we're, we're mapping out what we're going to do, and next week, I think we're going to really test the boundaries of our friendship. I think we're going to be recording three episodes in the span of perhaps three days, doing uh, what I'm, I'm going to be dubbing the Paternity Leave Chronicles as we get some, <laughs> some episodes recorded in advance so that I can take a few weeks off to be with my wife wife and the little one. Um, But for now, let's talk about what on earth is going on in Brothers War, Ben. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm just getting my dad jokes in early. Um, I do think that, you know, I wrote an article about this a a couple weeks ago for CFB Pro for shouting that out, that if I could give someone one piece of advice for the format, I only had one sentence to say, like they're going in blind to Brothers War, I would say, take unearth cards higher than you think. I think people have heard you. They're <laughs> a little scarce at the moment. Not going to lie. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunate for us, perhaps in terms of, you know, mining the sets for, for all they're worth or mining the drafts for all the value you can get. But I think good if people are hearing that cry, because I do think that's at the core of this format. You know, it took us a couple weeks to lock into that in terms of the prototype stuff seemed to be the big flashy things. Ooh, are we going to get nine mana nine nines and 10 mana 10 tens with reach and trample at common? Isn't that awesome? And it's not really that kind of a format, right? It's not really a Rise of Eldrazi style, you know, big mech format. But that isn't to say that there isn't stuff to do with eight, nine, ten sources of mana in the late game. And that isn't to say that you can't get to the late game in this format. But I think the thing that you're largely doing with that mana is unearthing. Absolutely. And I think there's several things to unpack with Unearth because just telling people to pick Unearth cards higher isn't sure, enough. Like, sure, you have to do yeah. some work to really, I think, maximize those Unearth cards and maximize their potential as well. But if you do the work, I think they are pretty easy to turn into two for ones, a lot of them, if you just surround them with the right cards and the right kind of game plan. Yeah, I think that's totally true. They are colorless. You know, coming off the heels of DMU, I think it was. Interesting thinking about them in the context of or in conversation with the off-color kicker cards from Dominaria United of like, okay, so we tried to categorize some of the kicker cards of like, you know, these are cards you play for their upfront cost. These are cards you would like to be able to splash maybe with an off-color land or two. And But if you can't, no big deal. And then these are the cards where like, you have to be able to kick them like Urborg Repossession. You have to be able to kick it for it to be worth including in your deck. You have to be able to reliably kick it for it to be worth including in your deck. And I think, you know, I came into bro thinking that the unearthed cards were going to be that in some way. Like, okay, I'm going to categorize them 
in these different tiers. And we do have them sorted into tiers in a second, but it's more about just like busto, busto, (laughs) only slightly busto, and then like sort of contextual. But like they are colorless the more you think about them. Like honestly, a lot of them are okay if you can only do the front side and then if you can unearth them and then if you can take advantage of the unearth cards beyond you know maybe you're an aggressive deck and so unearthing them feels like a decayed token and you can attack and push damage and your opponent doesn't want to block or trade or chump or whatever because it's only there for a turn great can you sacrifice it that's also great do you care about artifacts entering the battlefield that's also great you know they delayed the decision in draft if you think about them in that colorless way like there is a lot of as you said like it's you have to do some work but once you do that work, once you sort of open up that idea that on Earth cards are colorless, it opens up the draft format for you as a whole. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest hurdle is just understanding that Scrapwork Mutt is a colorless card or understanding. I think people have latched on to probably Mutt and Cohort as colorless Mm -hmm. cards at this point in the format. But even things like Combat Courier, totally colorless, the one mana one one that you can sacrifice to draw a card and then unearth for a blue. These things are not tied to their color identities at all if you draft in a certain style. Yeah. So should we talk about the style of deck? Should we talk about the unearth cards first? Where do we want to go next? Let's get into the unearth cards themselves and just kind of the tier order of them. Yeah. So we have them roughly in three tiers. And it's very funny. Like Ben made the show notes here. I also tiered these cards in my article uh, a couple weeks ago. And we actually came to the exact same tiers here. Um, We we are going to edit a little bit uh, as I finally convinced Ben on a certain card, but we'll talk about tier one, which where you're taking them over or equal to the best commons in the set. So we've talked about scrap or cohort, Scrap work mud. I think everybody's on board with those. The the four mana three one that makes a one one and then unearths for two and a white. And the two mana two one enters the battlefield. You can discard a card. If you do, you draw a card and unearths for one and a red. Yeah, combat courier here as well. We just talked about that. We've also got Ashnod's Harvester. That's the two mana three one that when it attacks, you have to exile a card from a graveyard. So if your opponent has none, beware. You have to munch on your own graveyard. <laughs> yeah. And then it unearths for one and a black. And then there's Mask of the Jade Crafter. This makes a, a XX Golem creature equal to X when you uh, pay that mana and sacrifice it and unearths for two and a green. And then we've got Mishra's research desk, which is the one that exiles two cards and you can choose one of them. And then until the end of your next turn, you can play that card and it also has unearth. Yeah, I think actually when I made my tiers, I didn't have combat career in this list, but I like that it is. And I did also sort of like compare my top 10 commons in the set to the 17 lands top commons because there's a pretty big difference there it's very white heavy on 17 lands we'll talk about that a little later when we get to white's commons in the format but i do like courier in this tier one and i do have courier in my top 10 commons in the set well that's how this came about i started to think like well how am i initially going to get into like retouching on what's going on a pro or reconnecting with the format. And I thought, well, I'll make a list of the top commons and where I think I'm at with the top commons right now. And it was stupid because I started and then I was like, wait, the unearth cards are all just all of the top commons, but they're also all colorless. So it's kind of pointless to make a top commons list. And then I started to make a top 10. I was like, this is dumb. We should just we should just <laughs> talk about the unearth cards and how good they are and why they're colorless and how to make them colorless and how to maximize them. Because this really is the crux of the format here. And I think this is not a stretch to say that you're taking cohort and mutt over any other common pack one, pick one, correct? 
Correct. Yes. Is combat courier there for you? Not over anything else. No, I do have I have the same top three as 17 land. So I have cohort one, mutt two, excavation explosion three. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Remorse is close in there for me between remorse and explosion. I guess explosion making a power stone's big game. Yeah, that's probably right. I've come down on remorse slightly because in the decks where I only have like 12, 13 creatures, I'm not very happy with remorse. Like remorse is great in the black green 17 creature deck. Sure. Load me up. I'll take three of them. But there are black decks I end up in. And it's also not as good on the splash as explosion is because of that, um, that I've come down on it slightly still in my top 10, but lower than explosion for sure. Can we get the mental top 10? Can you rattle that off without it being in the show notes? Okay. So I have the same three cohort, mutt explosion, then four through six. I have Pendragon Strongbull, Argothian Opportunist, and then Combat Courier. And Strongbull over Blast Runner might be, you know, a bit of a contention there. But I think Strongbull, like, fuels more decks, and I'm, like, never cutting, basically. Whereas, like, you can fail on the Blast Runner front. And then 7 through 10, two black removal spells, Remorse and Disfigure. Might Stone's animation as a nod to a category of card we'll talk about later. And then number 10 is Energy Refractor. Yeah, that's a solid top 10. I think I've got some cards in there that you don't like. Blast Runner is not in your top 10 then, correct? Mm-hmm. Blast Runner is not. That is correct. Yeah, I think that would be in my top 10. I think I would have Combat Courier ahead of Strongbull and Opportunist as well. I think that's totally fair. This list is not necessarily the ranking of the power level of cards at common, but the ranking or a loose ranking of where I'm taking them. Like if it's pack one, pick one. What is the ranking of these 10 cards or the top 10 commons for me? And you'll notice that, you know, if, if you think of cohort as colorless, there are no white cards in my top 10 commons. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. And it's not that I don't like white or don't think white is powerful. It's just it doesn't play well with others in the way that I think the other four colors do. He's already hedging, folks. We've got him on the ropes. He's, <laughs> I'm he's, not. Picturing, he's picturing the Lords of Limited Discord comments now. Oh, yeah. No, it's that's it's all it is. The, yeah, the, the Discord section of uh, recent LOL episodes is what they got wrong on recent LOL episodes. <laughs> all right. Tier two unearth cards, which you have as rarely cutting and which I would just say are they're better than you think. Like these are cards that consistently go. I mean, maybe not anymore, as you're saying, these are drying up, but I feel like consistently go sixth, seventh, eighth, sometimes wheel a lot of the time, you know, like I think these cards are just better than a lot of people think. Yeah, Scrapwork Rager, the 4-mana 2-2 that draws you a card, has Unearth. Mishra's Juggernaut, the 5-3 that has to attack every turn with Trample, has Unearth. And then Reconstructed Thopter, the 2-1 Flyer. Uh, And I believe you have a a sorely misplaced (laughs) card in Tier 3 that needs to be bumped up, sir. Yes, so Tier 3 is the need a reason to play category. Currently there is Heavyweight Demolisher. That's the, is it 7-5 with Menace? It's an 8-6 with Menace. What a huge boy. It's huge. Takesha's Onulet. This is the mistaken uh, inclusion in Tier 3. This is the 5-mana 4-4 that when it leaves the battlefield, you gain 2. And then Yoshin Frontliner is the the one one that when it attacks, it gives another creature plus one plus one. So Takesha's Anulet, Ethan has been harping on me about it being equivalent to Juggernaut. And I have been pushing back all format long, largely because it's been an in theory thing for me. And I have not <laughs> cast many Takesha's Anulets, if we are <laughs> being honest. I, I know, I know. <laughs> and I just cast one last night and Ethan happened to be in my stream. I didn't even know if you're still there, but uh, you were right. It felt pretty good casting a Takesha's yeah. Anulet. It's sort of like the bizarro Mishra's Juggernaut. Like, 
it's obviously it's awkward to have like a more defensive card that still has on earth. That's why Juggernaut's so good. Juggernaut's so good because it plays well with Mutt in terms of discarding it. Also Bitter Reunion in red, discarding it. And then you just have this sort of lava axe sitting and waiting in your graveyard. Amulet less good, but still like it's just keyword large. And you can get it out on turn four if you're making a power stone on turn three. And like gaining four life with that card is big game. Well, and also, I think a reason that I was tripped up was I was thinking about this as white. And I think you're thinking about it as colorless, correct? Like you're not putting Takesha's Onulet in your white beatdown deck. You're putting Takesha's Onulet in these unearthed decks that we're getting ready to talk about. Right. And that's literally every card we've talked about, I think, with the exception of tier three. Like, so 10 of these 12, I am literally thinking about them as colorless. So Heavyweight Demolisher, you can't really because red, red as the unearthed cost is such a big cost plus like it being seven mana is quite a lot and then the reverse is yoshin frontliner it's so good in aggressive decks in soldier decks in aggressive white decks whatever but those are boxes you have to check whereas i think the rest of the 10 are like do you have mana in your deck that's the box you have to check (laughs) yes for sure yep no that makes sense so once you value the unearthed cards as high as we are and as high as we're telling you too, other cards start to get better. And this was another roller coaster for me in the format, at least, was this cycle of the mill three creatures at common. Yeah, absolutely. And we touched on this an episode or two ago before we did our cube episode, but I don't think we really went deep on how important these cards are with the unearth cards. And even things like you mentioned, Bitter Reunion, discard outlets are also insane with the unearth cards, which is something I don't have in our show notes, but just kind of intuitively new and left off here. But the fact that there are ways to get the unearth cards in your graveyard for free and then take advantage of the back half of the card for value is just completely busted. The fact that there are colorless cards, 10 colorless cards that are very good among some of the best cards in the set. And then there are a lot of ways to make them better or to make them even more powerful than they are in and of themselves. Right. So we're talking about Airlift Chaplain in white, Branchwood Prowler in green, Falaji Archaeologist in blue, Ravenous Gigamole in black, and Tomical Scrapsmith in red. And Scrapsmith, again, is the one that's hardest for me to wrap my head around. But for the rest of these, if you can mill an unearthed card plus get the thing that this card gets for you, it really feels kind of close to Organ Hoarder, right? If Branchwood Prowler is a two-mana 1-1 that draws you a land that also bins an unearth card, oh my goodness, is that value. That feels like when Organ Hoarder came into play, drew you a card, and binned something with Flashback or Disturb, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know I love a good power rankings. Can I get uh, an (laughs) off-the-cuff power ranking here? It's almost the order you have them in, I think. Chaplain, I think, is the clear number one, not only because I think it being evasive is good. It being in white is very good. It's synergizing with a lot of what white does with the recommission, et cetera, the, the three mana value or less. So chaplain number one, as you can tell, I'm vamping here as I figure out the rest <laughs> of the list. Well, and I'll, I'll vamp for you a little bit so you can think some more. I remember you hating chaplain like yes. in our first or second episode that we did. It was in the crash course. Yeah. You had it as number one, right? I did. I ta- yeah. I tried to talk you down. It's not my number one white common by any stretch, but I do really like it. I would like to say that I saw the unearth synergy with these cards <laughs> when I rated them highly on our crash course. That would be a lie. I 
think Branchwood Prowler is number two for me. It's tough because I think Ravenous Gigamole is actually the next best one in my mind, but it being four mana knocks it down for me, which is why I like Branchwood Prowler as a two drop. And I am a huge fan of Philogy Archaeologist these days. Um, This is the blue one, especially again, because it's two mana. I kind of like the order you have here, which is Chaplain, Prowler, Archaeologist, Gigamole, and then Scrapsmith is the clear last one for me because of the redundancy of like, it's hard to be like, oh, you want to mill artifacts and get an artifact to get back with it, you know, because like the unearthed cards are in both of those camps. But Scrapsmith is still better than you think. Yes, I think I would swap Archaeologist and Prowler. I think I'd go Archaeologist number two, but it's, wow. it's very close. I'm a, wow. I'm a big Flaggy archaeologist Stan. Did I do that right? Is that the way to use Stan? Oh, uh, yeah. You just sound like one of those cool kids. How do you do, fellow kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great job. Okay, so you're you're valuing these cycle of self-mill cards because in the world where, and it's not hard to imagine this, like let's say you do end up with, and maybe this doesn't exist anymore, but I'm sure you can still get in pods where you get four or five unearth cards in your deck, especially if you're valuing them like this. If you're happy with a juggernaut and an onulet and a thopter, like it's not hard to get those late in drafts, I feel like. So if you're valuing them like that, then it's not that hard to imagine a couple of these self-mill cards, you know, I don't know, half the time they're going to do the full, they exist on the battlefield, draw the thing that they're supposed to draw, plus bin and unearth card. That's incredible value. And then the next thing that you're valuing highly is cards that make power stones. And I think maybe there's like an interesting I don't know, temperature check to take on the community at large in terms of power stones. I think specifically the ways to make them at three mana, and I guess Horn Stone Seeker is the only way to make it at two mana, are most important because it lets you, you know, by the time you're making a power stone with a five mana spell, it's it's much less exciting, you know? Yes, but going Excavation Explosion or Argothian Opportunist into an Onulet or a Mishra's Juggernaut hardcast is very strong. Like that is a problem for your opponent. Here's a question. Where are you at on Gix's caress these days? Mm, that's a good question. To to sort of backtrack, I was high on this card. You were not. Then I was like, you were right. Then the data <laughs> bore out that it was a good pick. I think a lot of people started to think it was a good pick. And now I am higher on it. Not as high as I was. Like I think I had it as top black common. It's not there at all for me. But I do think Gix's Caress is good and main deckable. I have not had Gix's Caress in a situation where I've had like the Juggernauts or the Onulets. I've not played mm. with Gix's Caress in an unearth deck like this. So I don't feel like I can give a true opinion. My my gut says like I still feel how I felt about it, which is hoping to not play, but fine to play if the case arises. But maybe you can make a deck where you're you're pretty happy with it, especially if you've got these unearth cards. Yeah. I mean, so the ones that affect the board are really good, right? Argothian Opportunist, Excavation Explosion, and Arbalist Engineers as the red green signpost on common. Then you've got, you know, you've got Stern Lesson, which is a little derpy, do nothing. But still, as you sh- you shouted out earlier of like, you know, rummage or loot effects with unearth cards are good when you get to pitch an unearth card and draw two and make a power stone you can probably make up for the fact that you didn't affect the board that turn you know right you make up in value what you lost in tempo assuming that you your deck is not just totally doing nothing <laughs> right you're not fully 40 cards of air but so those are the ways you really want to be making power stones because then like you said it lets you then then you play onulet or juggernaut on four and all of a sudden it's like oh wow you've, you've really ramped out quite a beefy threat there Yes, completely. And then I think going even a step further, once you start to value these self-mill cards, because you've got, you know, these unearth cards, so you've got the cycle of cards that mill three, 
then all of a sudden the reanimate effects start to get way more appealing. Something like recommission has skyrocketed in value for yeah. me in the last two weeks. That's the one in a white um, return an artifact or a creature mana value three or less to the battlefield. And then if you do, it gets a plus one plus one counter on it. That card has been absurdly good in Falaji archaeologist packages in blue white for me. Well, and shout out to Andrew Beckstrom, who sort of first turned me on to this in the Lords versus resources showdown was he was doing this, right? He was doing a Falaji archaeologist plus no one left behind reanimator style deck. And he had the you know big red dragon. I forget what other like large monster nonsense he had. And then I got to draft a pretty sweet version of this in one of our showdown videos for CFB's YouTube, where I had, I think, like five Falaji archaeologists and two repair and recharges or three repair and recharges, something like that, two and a recommission. And like you just because archaeologist bins the creature plus finds the reanimation spells, it is really not hard to assemble this little synergistic package. And these are all cards we're talking about largely that go very late. Like archaeologist, when that doesn't wheel, you're like, what's happening? <laughs> well, I don't think it should be, but I, I, don't, I don't think the rest of the world is as high on it yet. I do think that is one of the format's last hidden gems. Yeah, for sure. So recommission, repair and recharge, no one left behind, and then not reanimation, but raise dead plus a one one in emergency weld. And then I think the next step, and I, I love that there's a, a chain reaction with all yeah. of these things too, because this really is, I think, the key to just wringing the last little drops of value out of the format. But if you value these unearth cards this highly, then you also have to, by extension, value fixing for the back halves. If you if you truly are treating them as colorless, as we are saying that you should treat them, and fixing is scarce in the format. So you need to value cards like Sentinel Stalwart, that's the green one one that can tap another untapped artifact or creature to make a mana of any color. You need energy refractor. That's the two mana artifact that you can filter mana through evolving wilds is a huge pickup and then maybe running, you know, an off color mountain. If you've got scrapwork mutts and Mishra's juggernauts, you know, that sort of thing, or even retro artifacts like elsewhere flask, chromatic star stuff that, you know, one shot fixes your mana for that one off color unearth card that you have in your deck. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we had Jasper Sentinel in Kaldheim. We have Sentinel Stalwart here. And I think both times they were sleepers until they weren't. And I think th this just needs to be a shift in evaluations of this kind of effect and limited sets going forward. Mox Diamond, baby. Mox yeah. Diamond. That's what you said. That's what you said. And I, I agree. Mox Diamond with reach. Mox Diamond <laughs> with reach and with types. Um, yeah. So the fixing is scarce. But I think, again, and maybe maybe my uh, view is outdated as I've been too deep in, in the cube pools this, this past week. But I do think that Refractor goes late. Maybe not wild but Refractor goes late. And I know that certainly since Sam Black came out with his treatise on Stalwart, those are getting snapped up. But, you know, you're going to be in pods where these are undervalued. And that's part of the, the joy and the power of these decks is that all these chain reaction things that we're talking about are also all predicated on you can get these kind of cards late, right? You can get, you know, maybe not the tier one unearth cards, but everything else you can get kind of late. Maybe you don't get Airlift Chaplain, but you can probably get a lot of the other self-mill cards late. You can probably get the reanimation spells late. You can probably get some of the fixing late, even though it's scarce, you know, like, and you can get a lot of power out of your draft that way. Well, and the, the pods are still definitely around, too. I've been doing bro this week uh, since my arena cube failures in the <laughs> arena open as, as a way to uh, kind of get the salt out of my wounds, just a palate cleanse. And at first, I thought you just were never going to be able to do this deck because I knew we were doing this episode. So I was like, all right, I want to try to draft this deck a bunch. So I'm, I'm informed. And the, the first time I got to do it was last night. It was wide open, but it was 
wide open. So you're definitely still going to get pods where this is possible. Yeah. Is it time, Ben? Is it time to talk about rectangle theory? I think it's time to talk about rectangle theory. So we've, we've teased this a little bit. You've, you've done an article on it, but I think we need to let the world in on rectangle theory, not just your Twitch chat. Okay. So, I mean, it started out as like a meme in my channel, but I do think that this is a very real way to discuss and rectangles referring to just pieces of cardboard, however you get them in play and a way to sort of lump in rather than, you know, we also often get caught up in, okay, what's the, what a blood token is worth what percentage of a card, a treasure token is what fraction of a card, a power stone, what, what percentage of a card is that? So rather than trying to be like, it's a one and a half for one, you just talk about it in terms of rectangles. So all rectangles are created equal. That's what you're telling me. That's what I'm telling you. So cards in your deck are rectangles, tokens that you make like a power stone token. That's a rectangle, a card that draws you a card. Okay. So that's two rectangles, right? Cause it exists and then it draws you a card. And then on <laughs> that's, that was very meta. It exists and then it brings a card into existence. That's right. And then it also is a way to refer to a card being unearthed. So it existing for a turn. So like scrapwork cohort, that's four rectangles, baby, because that's four rectangles. That's a three one and a one one token. And then when it unearths, it's another three one and another one one token. And it doesn't matter that one of those is only around for a turn, that one of those is an actual card, one of those is one one excavation explosion. That's two rectangles. Kills a thing, makes a power stone, right? And so when you start and obviously the power stone is worth less than dealing three damage. Obviously the one, one token is worth less than the three, one, or, you know, the three, one for a turn is worth less than the one, one, whatever. But like, if you start to just lump all of these things under rectangle theory, under this umbrella of how many, you know, different rectangles of cardboard does this thing make? I think that does help you start to figure out a way to evaluate cards in the format or a way to a lens with which to view cards in the format, because it, Really, I do think if, if we have a heuristic of magic of like whoever spends the most mana in a game of magic is likely to win. I do think whoever makes the most rectangles in a game of bro limited is likely to win. Wow. There you have it, folks. So combat courier, the one the one one that draws a card. Mm-hmm. How many? What, where does that fall on the rectangle theory scale? Well, well that's two rectangles, right? Because it's not it, like it turns itself into a card and then the unearthed card turns itself into a card. So I feel like you're really netting. You're netting two rectangles. There. So that's not four rectangles. That's not four rectangles. Two rectangles. I got it. Does that so check out for you? That checks out. I was the, okay. I initially thought when you said scrap or cohort, my brain heard combat courier. That oh, was okay. why I reacted so <laughs> incredulously. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, whoa, force <laughs> multiplier here on rectangle theory. No, 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 no. No, I'm not, I'll, I'll rein it in slightly. But so I do think if you have a le- if you're viewing cards through that lens it unlocks a lot of things for you right one of the reasons i think energy refractory is so good even in two color decks but yeah, i mean is anything really a two color deck in bro S- certainly sometimes but rarely you know if you're doing <laughs> very often i would say <laughs> yes <laughs> well i mean if you're viewing these cards as colorless then yes but like you know if you're you're like all right i'm a blue white deck but i've got a red on earth a green on earth like are you a blue white deck are you blue white splashing red and green who knows but energy refractor it's just so hard for that to not do something in your deck. And yes, it's do nothing. But like, do you care about drawing two? It, it does something there. Do you care about an artifact entering the battlefield? Boom, it does that. Do you care about an artifact existing on the battlefield to be able to be sacrificed? Boom, it can do that. Like, do, do you care about unearthing these things? Boom, it like it unlocks all of those colors of costs for you. Like, it does a lot in terms of this rectangle theory umbrella. 
I'm hearing that you're telling me that Energy Refractor is back on the menu for the Golden Egg Award. That's what I'm hearing. Well, I guess if Scrapwork Mutt is ineligible, I feel like if we're like figuring out like Oscar nominations for casts and you're and I'm like, I'm like, Scrapwork Mutt, the best supporting actor. And you're like, Scrapwork Mutt is in 90% of the movie. <laughs> it's it's the best actor. <laughs> it can't be best supporting actor. So I feel like that's where we're at. Like I would give it to Mutt. But if Mutt is just too good, then yes, Energy Refractor is back on the menu for sure. Okay, we're way off the rails here. We're going to leave that for 50 <laughs> takes. So back to the Unearth cards and Rectangle Theory. Just tying the Unearth cards into Rectangle Theory, they're all two-for-ones if you're viewing the format that way at a minimum, right? Because you get the front half of the card and then you get another rectangle when you unearth it, yes? They're all two-for-ones at a minimum, exactly, yes. Right, and then once you get those disposable rectangles, whether they are Unearth cards or Energy Refractor, as you were alluding to, Then another chain reaction happens, which is cards that are sacrifice outlets also go way up in value. So cards like Junkyard Genius. I mean, everybody knows this is good at this point in the format, but the red, black, gold, uncommon, the sack outlet gives you things, haste, menace, kind of ridiculous. Pentagon Strongbull. There's lots of times Pentagon Strongbull is, well, if my opponent gets two more artifacts, I'm dead. You know, that sort of thing going on. There's Power Stone Fracture as a one-off way to kill something by sacrificing a creature or an artifact. I mean, how much more busted is this when you get to, you unearth a thing, you attack with it. They don't want to block because they don't want to like chump or trade with an unearthed creature. And then, so they take three or four damage and then you sacrifice it to kill something. Incredible. Same deal with Skyfisher Spider. The best uncommon in the set plays so well with these disposable rectangles. Yeah, and there's even Goblin Blast Runner that then also starts to get better once you want to sacrifice things and you've got the the unearthed cards to sacrifice. So there's these chain reactions that keep happening over and over and over once you value certain things appropriately. And I, I also think that that's where you get into deck building jams mm. after the draft. Where, you know, early on in the format, we we said, you know, for DMU teaching you about how to draft, Bro is teaching you how to deck build. And I think this is why, because there's so many ways to make other cards better. And if you're not seeing the rares or the intrinsically powerful cards on their own, you better believe you need to be doing this work to make cards good and making sure you've got the appropriate cards paired alongside other cards that are going to just raise the value of everything in your deck. And I think it's very easy to have four or five cards out of place, and then all of a sudden you're not as smooth of a synergy machine. Yes, exactly. So this, I think, is the best way to draft the format, right? I mean, and ideally, maybe you get some sweet rares as well to go along with it, something from the retro artifact slot. You get Urza or Mishra, whatever. Like You get some strong rares or mythics to go along with this powerful value package that you can assemble that involves unearth cards, some fixing, some sack outlets, some reanimation spells, whatever, some self mill value, etc. But sometimes that's not going to happen, right? As Ben's alluded to, sometimes you're going to be in pods where everybody knows what's up. And so these unearth cards get snapped up quickly, the fixing gets snapped up quickly, and you can't do this. So then what do you do? Well, or the disaster scenario where you kind of don't realize that's the case, or you're thinking, <laughs> well, they'll come, like, you know, Field of Dreams, build it and they'll come, yes. and then they don't come, and you end up with a deck that just does nothing. Yeah, this was what happened to me day two of the Bro Arena Open, was I think in my first six picks, I ended up with two Alloy Animists and two Serenth Steel Seekers, and I was like, oh, baby, we're just going to take everything that's an artifact, every rectangle maker, everything that makes a power stone, these Animists are going to pop off, and I just saw nothing and you can get into trouble that way and like start to draft a core of a deck that supports this idea that supports this sort of busto busto value strategy 
and then it just doesn't come. Yeah, that is a situation to avoid for sure. But so I think if you're not getting the center stuff, and if you're not getting the rares or the gold uncommons that push you down a lane, we, we've talked about this, but I have gone out of my consciousness a little bit that you should default to aggressive decks and you should default to white. Yeah, and I think this is a great spot to talk about white and like why are white cards so absent from my top commons versus the 17 lands top 10 commons. Like if you look at the 17 lands game in hand win rate commons from best of one, there's airlift chaplain, prison sentence, ambush paratrooper, and aeronaut cavalry rounding out the top 10. So four of the top 10 cards are these white creatures. And I don't default towards those. I don't push towards those because I don't, I think those like are an inherent package in and of themselves. It's not quite as anemic as red in neon dynasty was, but it's similar. Like white plays well with white cards. And then you can figure out what the other color you're supposed to pair with it is. Cause like all of the white decks are good. Probably black, white is the worst of them, but like blue, white soldiers, green, white aggro, red, white aggro. These are just all good decks, but the core of them is white. Um, and so those white cards, I think if you can't get into this unearthed strategy and this like, ooh, seeing these late archaeologists and this, I'm getting a late energy refractor and people aren't taking on earth cards, I think this is your next spot to steer towards. And this is, of course, like, I think precluding the scenario where you just start with a busted rare or mythic and then you just push towards, let me put this in my deck. Right. That's the most common path i think yes. to steer down is that you open a card that strongly incentivizes you to be red or be green or be black or whatever the case may be that that's scenario one for getting into a deck i think scenario two is the unearth lane and then scenario mm-hmm. three is if unearth is not open white aggro but i've been away from this mostly because i think my default early on in the format was just understanding how much you had to impact the board and i was just punishing decks that didn't But now people know that lesson. And I think the best way to win is still attacking and getting on board and turning your thing sideways. And Mm -hmm. white decks do that so, so, so well. So well. And so reliably at common, which is why I think it's the best, you know, default deck. And if you like, I think you could make a case for, well, I prefer the white aggressive deck. So I want to default to that. And then if that's not open, then I'll backdoor into the multicolor unearthing, whatever. And maybe that's a a metagame shift also to be made that it's like, okay, well, in week four, I was doing white, then unearth. But now in week six, I'm doing unearth and then white, if that's not open, whatever. But like, I think those are your two strategies at common. And it's a little reductive. You know, we were sort of championing in DMU that, you know, there's, you could view the format as there's three decks, or you could view the format as there's 23 decks. And I think the same is true in bro, but I think we, I'll speak for myself. I do view this format as there's basically three decks. I love the three decks that exist. If we're we're thinking about the three decks as whatever unearth is as colorless, uh, white aggressive decks, and then streamline two color decks. Those are the three umbrellas that I would put decks under in the format. And I think there's certainly flavors and machinations within those umbrellas, but I do think those are the three decks in bro. Well, the three pillars, right? I mean, there are yeah, definitely sure, sure. different streamlined two color decks that all have right. like a slightly different feel to them based on whatever the, the color pair is telling you to do for sure. But like as far as macro archetypes, those are the three kind of things you're going to find. Exactly. And I think it's probably worth touching on the 10 two color pairs. We talked about blue, white, green, white, red, white, all great. I would sort of just lump all of those under the white aggressive decks rather than thinking about those as streamlined two color decks. Though certainly, you know, a deck like my deck in the showdown, a deck that gets, you know, two, three Yoshin dissidents is going to have a different pick order than a green, white deck that doesn't have those, you know? 
Yes, completely agree. And I think probably the fussiest of the white decks is black-white. Not that it's bad, but I think you can most easily get trapped in like, am I value? Am I aggressive? Am I white-based? Am I black-based? Like, I think you can get split into a number of different paths and and end up with a an, an unfocused deck at the end. Yes. And then other two color decks, blue, black, the tempo aggro draw two, blue, red, the the spells, pumping out tokens. And one thing that's kind of occurring to me just thinking about this and talking about this and looking at our show notes with you, I think, you know, as far as rock, paper, scissors in the format, mm. like for these decks to compete with the unearth decks and or the decks that have great rares, you really want multiple copies of the gold uncommon for most of them. Like yes. the, the two color decks without their gold uncommon don't really feel like they can hang to me just in terms of power level without a huge push from their gold uncommon. Yes, I think blue black can definitely hang without Evangel, but it probably can't hang without Evangel and without Thopter mechanic, right? It's still uncommon based. I agree that like if you have blue red decks without third path iconoclast, like then you I don't know what you're doing really. And then we get into the Jun decks, red, black, red, green, and black, green. I don't think those are really streamlined two colors because oftentimes they are so rectangle heavy, you know, like black, green, maybe the least of them, but red, black, and red, green for sure are like, you're playing Mutts, you're playing Ragers, you're playing Arbalest Engineers, you're playing Mask of the Jadecraft, like that's just rectangles. Well, right. And I, one thing I want to throw at you is early on in the format, we had dubbed this Jun to the format. You know, we uh-huh. typically try to come up with a three color pair wedge that is the strongest or that you want to steer towards. Do you still feel like it is Jund and or a two part question? What sort <laughs> of color pair or color shard do you think supports the unearth stuff the best? Because even though it's colorless, like there are colored cards that do support those cards as well. I think it's still jund the format for me personally, um, because of the, how those three colors concentrated play with rectangles the best. They play with each other the best. Um, they're the best at combating aggro, I think. Slash, because they have so much removal, they're also good at combating the bomby nature of the format. So that is still where I'm at. How about you? I think I would lump white in there almost. I, I kind of think Mardu is the best mm. home for unearth stuff. If yeah. we were talking about that, because I do think just white having wow, a scrap big, big cohort, onulet believer now. I, I'm, yeah, onulet Stan. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, there, that was smoother that time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I barely noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think like a cohort being white on the back end, just not having to go out of your way to play Sentinel Stalwarts or whatever. Like if you exclude green, I think you get a wild still and you get refractor. And then you also are more likely to be the back half of the cards that are unearthed. Mm. Like the only green one that's in tier one is mask, right? Well, it's the only green one, right? Green doesn't have a common on earth card, right? That's what I've felt when I've been green lately is that it's kind of hard to get green to play well with artifacts unless you are the green white artifacts synergy deck. I I buy that for sure. And then the only color pair we haven't touched on yet is blue green, which I think is just largely bad, right? (laughs) Yeah, not ideal, I think. Not ideal. Sure. I think like, yeah, don't like to use the B word when talking about archetypes or magic cards or whatever. But I do think that blue green is is certainly in last place. And then the last thing I think we wanted to touch on in terms of talking about decks is just a handful of cards that are kind of a deck's game plan at common or uncommon, right? Where you get, once you get like two or three of these, I mean, two in the case of the uncommon, but two or three or more sometimes in the case of the commons, 
this is just what your deck is doing. And it's distinctly different, I think, than flavors of, you know, that color in conjunction with another color for a color pair. So Goblin Blast Runner, single red, one, two. If you sacrificed a permanent this turn, it gets plus two, plus oh, and menace. Like there are definitely red decks I've had that can't support a Blast Runner, right? You get to the end of it and you go, oh, I actually only have four sack outlets and only two of them are repeatable or whatever. But when you get like three or four of these, this is just your whole deck's plan. And then everything you have is cheap and sacrifice and enabling three, two menace creatures for one mana. Well, and also wants to be aggressive. You really need the rest of your deck to want to be aggressive as well and sacrifice things. I think for me, four is the magic number for blast runners before I'm super in on it. Yeah, I I, I mean, four, you're not likely to get four, are you? I don't know how math works. (laughs) You you heard it here first, folks. Uh, What's next? Next up is Warriors Elite, the two and a white, four, four, and as an additional cost to cast it, you either have to tap two lands, two creatures, or two artifacts. Yeah, I think there are, again, there are white decks that are good and aggressive that don't have Warriors Elite, that maybe don't enable Warriors Elite very well. But then, again, once you get two of them, you're just like, okay, I need as many one mana and two mana things as possible. Now, my aggressive white deck that maybe didn't care that much about Soul Guide Lantern before certainly cares about it now, you know? Yeah, well, and I think one drop creatures are really the go-to with Warriors Elite, but certainly anything that costs one or two, and you're just trying to push that curve lower for sure. Right, a card I never thought I would play, what is it, Survivor of Coilless, the one mana, one, one, first strike, and you can exile it from your yard uh, to scry two. Again, that also like kind of works in rectangle theory a little bit. Like, I have not been mad about, oh, I just pitch that to Mutt or pitch it to bitter reunion whatever like and especially if it it's got types as a soldier does it is it a mana dork for my warriors elite you know the more of those boxes that card can check the happier i am to run it yeah that card's totally fine it also blocks all of the three ones in the format as well that card does work yeah for sure next up is Mightstone's animation this is the three in a blue enchantment enchants an artifact when it enters the battlefield you draw a card and the enchanted artifact has base power and toughness four four in addition to its other types again like sometimes drafts go a little wonky but these go late, you get two in pack one and you go, okay, now I'm just getting as many cheap cantripping artifacts as I can get my hands on, whether they're, you know, elsewhere flask or energy refractor or cheap rectangly unearth cards, right? Slapping this on a combat career. And now you have a four, four with haste on turn four. These are just a game plan in and of itself. And it's different than, you know, a blue black draw two or a blue red spells matter type thing. This is just a, I'm beating down with four, four style deck. I think that is the card that when my I've cast a lot of Mightstone's animations myself as well. But I think that is the card that when my opponent casts it, my usual reaction is, oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's the card that makes me like the most fearful after it is cast for my life total. Yeah, I mean, and it in conjunction with the last card on this list is a beating Oof, levitating statue yeah two mana for the artifact uh you can pay two to turn it into a one one flyer uh, i guess the artifact itself intrinsically has flying mm. and then uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell you put a plus plus one counter on it this card is insanely good and i think a deck in and of itself like pack one pick one levitating statue you are in on drafting a deck that supports levitating statue and i think frequently that's probably going to be blue but wouldn't have to be i had a, a black green levitating statue deck that had two copies Um, earlier this week but that card is a very powerful build around in the format i have also put levitating statue in a red black deck like yeah i think a lot of folks see this as having blue red as its mana cost and it absolutely does not well and also doesn't have to be in a 13 or 14 spell deck either once you turn this into a 2-2 it's a card yeah and once you turn this into a 3-3 
it's a good card. And that's only two non-creature spells. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. You'd be like, you're like, well, normally I'd want to be like, you know, a 12, 11 split of creatures, non-creatures, but 15, 7, 15, 8, that's fine too. Yeah. And just some last deck building advice here. Uh, you really have to know whether your deck is trying to be aggressive or stopping aggressive decks. And if you aren't going to be one of the aggressive decks, and I personally just really need to internalize this, you really need rares and a really good game plan if you're not going to be aggressive, because being aggressive is just so easily the default way to win games. And it's so easily supported at common. And this is true. This is an evergreen limited heuristic. Like it's you can find good ways to be aggressive at common. You can't often find good ways to win a control game at common. Well, and I think the the trouble I get myself into is that's just not my default mindset. My default mindset is to play cards that stand on their own a little bit better. I think probably just from my LR upbringing in magic, <laughs> as it were. Mm-hmm. But that if you're looking at a pack of mediocre cards, they're not all equally mediocre. Like the aggressive ones are going to be better, are going to push you down a better path if you'll just take those in the format. And I, I keep not doing that for some reason and i keep losing (laughs) well hopefully ben listening back to this episode will internalize the things that ben is saying yeah and we've touched on this already but i do think just like you can really get into trouble the other other way that i think you get into trouble is if you set yourself up for a good deck that supports powerful top end supports loops supports the possibility of getting past four five six on earth creatures and then you just don't. Like, I'm sure I've talked about my animist Sarenth Steel Seeker Day 2 Arena Open Disaster, but I'm sure we've all drafted decks where we're like, sick, three Sentinel Stalwarts, can't wait for the goods. And then you're like, oh no, <laughs> what does this deck do? You know? Absolutely. All right, let's get into a draft log here before we say goodbye. Just to kind of put all of this into practice and kind of check in on where Bro is as a format. Sweet. What do you got for me? All right. Pack one, pick one. This is a draft where I think I steered myself down the wrong path. And I just want to talk about a lot of stuff because I think there are a lot of choices similar to this that people are going to be faced with. So pack one, pick one. See the following cards as options. There's Overwhelming Remorse, 4B Instant, Exile Target Creature Planeswalker, costs one less to cast for each creature in your graveyard. There's Goblin Blast Runner, red for the one, two, gets plus two, plus zero in Menace as long as you sacrificed a permanent this turn. And then moving on to the Uncommons in Contention, there's an Icker Wellspring, two mana ET. TB's draw card puts into a graveyard you draw a card and bushwhack green for the sorcery search up a basic land or have target creature you control fight target creature you don't control i think one of the reasons i like this format a lot and one of the reasons it is so similar to cube in my mind is i'm not really sure that there's a clear best of these four i think you could make an argument for all of these maybe with overwhelming remorse being last place for me but I think you could make a case for that too. Yeah. So what do you like? What are you taking? So I think I'm taking Icar Wellspring if I am subscribing to Rectangle Theory, which of course I am, Ben. It replaces itself as an artifact on the battlefield that I value pretty highly, though you can definitely, you have a sort of ceiling of the number of do-nothing two-mana artifacts you can put in your deck. And because Energy Refractor is going to be so important, I think you can load up on the non-mana fixing ones a little too easily. But I think it's early enough that I like Wellspring. That's going to lead me towards, and maybe it's sort of awkward, given that I'm passing Blast Runner and Remorse. It's going to lead me towards a a red-black sacrifice deck, or at least a red sacrifice deck at the most, so that I can, you know, take maximum advantage of the Wellspring. But I like Wellspring a lot. But like, if you wanted to steer towards 
green, I think Bushwhack is great. If you wanted to be a low-to-the-ground aggressive deck and maybe try and wheel Bitter Reunion, I think Blast Runner is great. If you just wanted to take a good clean removal spell that I do think takes some work in terms of uh, needing that high creature count, then I think Remorse is great. So Icker Wellspring on the rectangle theory. This is three cards, yes? This is three rectangles. Oh, yeah, I guess it is, yeah. It's itself. You draw a card, and then when you get in the graveyard, you get another card. It's three rectangles, right? It's three rectangles. Thank you, sir. Oh my gosh, I failed rectangle theory already. I know, math is hard, man. So I landed on Overwhelming Remorse here, and I think kind of incorrectly for some of the things that you're saying. I mean, it's not like a wrong pick, but it might be suboptimal, I think, and could lead you down a suboptimal path, because there's nothing good here, right? So we've said you know, there's nothing good. There's, there's four good cards. Yeah, you mean there's, nothing, there's like nothing busted. Fine. There's, yeah. This is very, none of these cards are going to dictate you winning the game. Correct. These are all C-level cards. Oh, he's bringing out grade letters. He wants to fight. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, they're like C-pluses, but they're not game-dictating cards. So I think if there's nothing game-breaking here, we've said that you should steer aggro. So I think, for me personally, I think after this episode and just what I've experienced in bro drafts recently, I, I honestly think I kind of want to pack one, pick one Goblin Blast Runner. And maybe that's just hindsight being 2020 because the draft works out very well if you first pick Blast Runner. But I, I also think if you take aggressive cards, you're putting yourself in a position where more often the draft works out well or easily or whatever, because that's the default style of deck to draft, right? You're kind of selling me on the Blast Runner pick here, honestly, because of that. Like, because if aggro is open, you're going to be happy. And Blast Runner isn't, you know, it's interesting if like ambush paratroopers in this pack. Because it would not be a card that would be in conversation for me, but maybe it should be because not only is it going to lead me towards an aggressive deck, but it's going to lead me towards the most number of different aggressive decks because it's white. Whereas Blast Runner, as we talked about, can the ceiling is quite high, but you can also be in a red deck where it's not in your deck, right? Where it ends up in the sideboard. I think the, the trick or the tricky part of taking Overwhelming Remorse here is if you're taking it thinking it's like the most open or something, or like, well, this is just intrinsically powerful or whatever. If you're not taking it thinking, I'm going to have to jump through some hoops to make this card its best, then I think you're making a slight mistake there. Right. That was my mentality was this is just a good removal spell. Great check. And I don't think that's necessarily true. So I took the Overwhelming Remorse. I think Maybe Blast Runner or Wellspring certainly is a fine pick. I do think Remorse is a little better than Bushwhack. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options with the Overwhelming Remorse. I think let's say you've got that and you're going forward with that pick. There's another Goblin Blast Runner. Red for the one, two, gets plus two, plus oh, and menace as long as you sacrifice to permanent this turn. There's Falaji Archaeologist, the O3 that mills three, and then you rebuy a non-land. And then... There's like an emergency weld as the best black card in the pack. One in a black return target artifact or creature from your graveyard to your hand. Make a 1-1 colorless soldier artifact token. There's a boulder branch golem, the 7 mana 6-5 that gains life equal to its power and prototypes as a 3-3. And then there's bushwhack, I think. Another copy of that green. Choose one, search your library for basic land or have target creature fight. This is tough. I mean, there's cards that I like here. But they're not cards that I like taking pick two, right? Like Emergency Weld is a card that I would happily play in a black deck with overwhelming remorse. But I really don't want to load up on this effect. And I really don't want to take it second, you know, and it's you're right, like such an easy blast runner if you take blast runner. Well, and I, I honestly think so spoilers, I took bushwhack here to follow up overwhelming remorse. I think given what we've talked about in this episode, you're supposed to take blast runner here still. Like, yes, someone else might snap up the other Blast Runner, but you still have a chance to wheel the Bitter Reunion, mm -hmm. and you put yourself in a position to draft ostensibly the strongest archetype in Black Red. And I, I don't know why I 
didn't do that or didn't want to do that. I, I just need to recalibrate to default. If there's not powerful things, I need to be trying to be aggressive or get into the good archetypes. And green, black, commons and uncommons is a terrible archetype. Right. I mean, it battles aggressive decks well enough because it has a lot of incidental life gain, got a lot of removal. But you you know, I'm I'm sort of already a little bit like scooched, clenched, whatever of like, I see remorse, I see bushwhack. And I'm like, is this going to be that triple signal stalwart draft where you're like, I got all the goods, just send me something to like make my deck functional. And you don't get unearth cards and you don't get a powerful rare, or whatever, you know, you don't get loops. And then you're just stuck with a bunch of derpy mid range cards. Right. And so just to, to rewind to pack one, pick one, I know I said we weren't going to do what is, but blast <laughs> runner into blast runner super easily. But by by taking that first blast runner, you also give yourself the chance to get past a second blast. Like, uh-huh. like there's part of me that doesn't want to take Goblin Blast Runner, pack one, pick one, because it's such a low impact card on its own and you need other things to make it work. But I think there's also another way to look at that, which is great. I've got this card, pack one, pick one, that gives me a clear plan and tells me what I want to draft and gives me the maximum number of chances to get other copies of it and other cards that play well with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also, it's hard. It's so funny. Like I I had the same aversion to Blast Runner pack one, pick one as you, but the more we're talking about it, the more I'm thinking like, what are the things that I could get past that I would start to feel like, oh man, I can't take that because I took Blast Runner. So few things, right? Either you're going to get more things that play well with the Blast Runner. Great. Or you're going to get things that are just good or clearly like signpost on commons. And then you take that and you sort of like bob and weave a little bit. That's also fine. Right. Both of those scenarios are fine. And I think there's just something about I, I this is a, clearly a me issue that I need to solve. <laughs> but I assume there are other people that have that same aversion to Blast Runner, whether you grew up on LR or whatever the case may be, evaluating a one mana one two, like, you know, to put things on, you know, the vanilla test. Goblin Blast Runner doesn't really pass that at all. But just to be willing to take that early because it gives you so many chances to end up in good spots. And I, I, by taking remorse into Bushwhack now, I've kind of put myself in awkward spots. So I, I take bu- Bushwhack here, pack one, pick three. And I think I still should have taken the second Blast Runner there. Mm-hmm. So moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's a second copy of Overwhelming Remorse. There's a prison sentence, the pacifism effect for two and a white. There's an energy refractor, the artifact that ETBs draw a card and then filters mana. And then green cards, there's another Boulder Branch Golem and an Argothian Opportunist. 2G for the 3-2 when ETBs, you make a tapped Power Stone token. So yeah, I think given what you have, I would take Argothian Opportunist. Um, just because I like that more than the second remorse. And I think if you went Blast Runner, Blast Runner, it is interesting to think about what you would take here. And I think I would take Energy Refractor then. Why? Uh, just because it sets up um, Pendragon Strongbulls, Power Stone Fracture, Junkyard Genius, etc. Yeah, it sets you up as a, with a disposable rectangle for Red Black Sacrifice. Exactly. I like that. I took a remorse here. And I even said, as I was making this pick, I think the second remorse is much worse than the first. Yeah, I, I kind of agree that with remorse and bushwhack, I probably should have taken opportunist here. I've just felt recently that it green does not play great with artifacts. I've been a little more down on mm. Argothian opportunist. Interesting. Okay. All right. So I took the second remorse again, possibly incorrectly. And then pack one, pick four. This is where the draft goes so smoothly. You see an excavation explosion to a red deals three to any target, create a tap power stone token. And that is, I think, far and away the best card in the pack here. There's nothing else really even in consideration with the green and black cards we have. Like there's a boulder branch golem, there's a perimeter patrol, there's a Gix's caress, but you've got to be willing to 
move off black or green here and get into red. You love perimeter patrol. That I card do is love like that card. Firmly, firmly in the filler camp for me. Like I would not shout that out on a podcast in any <laughs> pack of magic cards as a card worth thinking about. And you love it. It's so wild. To I me. mean, it's not worth thinking about. I agree. <laughs> You're I agree about it. You stay up at night. It's that, that Wolverine meme thinking about you with him like <laughs> on the bed looking at his screen and there's perimeter patrol for you. I, listen, I've played a lot of green in the format. I would, I would say I have played significantly more green in the format than you have. Would you say that's true? I, I, sure. Okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't refute it. And I love Epic Confrontation and a 3-3, like going a Perimeter Patrol into Epic Confrontation, like if you've got also like if your two drop was the 3-1, like it just beats down. Yeah. It's such a nice size body. Sure. Yeah. Centaur Courser for life, baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did take Excavation Explosion here over the Perimeter Patrol. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Tough pick. <laughs> So now we've got Bushwhack Explosion and two Remorses. Oops, all removal, sir. Yeah, which is, again, like kind of an okay place to be if you see other non-removal cards. Yeah. Sometimes removal is really scarce in these drafts and sometimes it's not. It's very, very draft dependent, I think. I mean, I've definitely ended drafts where I don't have removal and I'm like, well, I guess I'm playing this Goblin Firebomb, the one mana flash artifact that you can pay seven to blow something up just because I'm like, need some way to interact with stuff. So it's not a bad spot to be. You're right. But like you also need, you know, the more removal you have, the more reasons you need for the game to go long, I think. Yes, completely agree. And I have none of those reasons <laughs> at the moment. So I think this draft log is just an interesting look. There's there's nothing else significant that happens. I take an emergency weld into a branchwood prowler and navigate into green, black mediums and go one, three. Not, not that the result matters, but I think more the fact that there were multiple paths available to me and I chose to take the possibly the least aggressive of the paths mm-hmm. when I was seeing medium cards instead of the most aggressive path I could take. And it just kind of a note to myself and maybe other drafters out there that are uh, having some issues with bro at the moment that if you don't see the good cards, you got to be aggro just to rehammer that home. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think this really is like, I mean, the format's going to settle one way or another. And I do think having this idea of the three pillars of streamline to color, you know, oops, all on earth, whatever the multicolor rectangle theory deck and white aggressive decks with, you know, a sub branch of, you know, Blast Runner aggro, whatever, Might Stones animation aggro, but that that these are the ways that you want to be thinking about decks in the format. Right. And pack one, pick one. I had an opportunity to go down Blast Runner aggro, which is a good deck, and I just turned it down for no reason at all. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay. No more parting thoughts from me. Any more parting thoughts from you? No. Uh, go, go forth and rectangle, folks. Go forth and rectangle. I'm going to get the heat turned back on in my apartment. I can't see my breath yet, but we're getting close to that territory. <laughs> okay. We'll, 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 we'll sign off here. All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all magic purchases or signing up for a TCG Player subscription, please navigate your way there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCG player. Uh, you can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupper. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next year for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.